Thank you. I was just going to see, do you have another 45 minutes or so? And then, uh, then Pastor Victor could speak and then we could eat. Do away with what we have. Thank you. Thank you for leading us. Good morning. And I'd also like to say a good morning to those in the kitchen. I think we need them, right? So hearty welcome to each one of you. And this is a very special morning. We get to worship together, and then we also get to worship by having a meal together, some fellowship time together. Pastor Vic's, Victor's theme is made in the image of God. So to prepare ourselves or, and to look at what that may look like as from a relationship perspective, I'd like to read a verse out of Luke 15. Verse 4, we know this parable well. It's the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus tells this parable in response to the Pharisees asking, who are you, really? And Luke 15, verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. 
until he finds it. That's the commitment built into his image. Let's pray together. Father, you created us in your image. Jesus, you give us a clear picture of what that looks like. Thank you, Father, for not giving up on us. May we do the same. Many are leaving the faith. Help us to find them. Give us a picture of what that looks like for us today. Help us with our, within our families, within our marriages, within our church relationships, and our relationships with our neighbor. I pray all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Has anybody been outside this morning? Oh, what a beautiful day. Wow. I didn't put a jacket on to go chore the goats. It's just calm and sunny and wonderful. Let's sing together. Our first song this morning is number 49. This is my father's world. I think they're bulletin inserts. Look at that. Yes, yeah, so there's the music in your bulletin. So let's, excuse me, let's sing together. So our next song is number 538. And one of the reasons I love going to this church is because you guys preach out of the Bible. And something I love about choosing songs is songs that sing about how good God is and his truths, like how much he loves us and how it's, we receive salvation through faith alone 
And so I love to find songs that uh, speak such truth. So I was reading this song, the lyrics, I mean, and in the second verse, this, um, the second verse starts, when hoary time shall pass. Does anybody know what the word hoary means? I didn't. So I have this dictionary that was written in 1928. 1828, so it's almost 200 years old. And it has the word in there. And the word hoary often means white, like you can have hoary willow, white willow. But it also means white that comes with age, like um, hoary hair. Anybody have a hoary head? We have one. It's a head that comes white with age, or say when the bread gets moldy with white, you'd call it hoary head. So this is now hoary time. When hoary time shall pass, like near the end of the age kind of thing, and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, it takes a while for kingdoms to fall, and in the end they will. And here's one that sounds like today. When men who here refuse to pray, times will be what that the people turn away from the Lord, and so the song goes on to affirm that God's love is strong and enduring and forever. Amen. And that is what we're singing about, is about the love of God. God has this love for us, and it is beautiful, and it is everlasting. Amen. The song goes on to sing other good things. Let's sing together. Song number 538.
excuse me, little stories today. But our third song is called Count Your Blessings. This week I saw a sign in a store and it said, it's important, <laughs> important to kind of get it right, isn't it? Um, if you woke up this morning with everything you thanked the Lord for yesterday, what would you still possess? Now I know thankfulness is not a currency that we thank the Lord for things. It though does show the value that we place on what we received. Like, if we haven't had food, we sure appreciate food, or drink, or clothing on a cold day, or air conditioning on a hot day, and so on. So I think it's very good, I know it's very good, to count our blessings. Amen. Let's sing some more.
We have um, a lot of things going on in our bulletin this morning, so I will highlight some and I will leave uh, some of that for, for you to, to look at. Uh, just wanted to let you know, Pastor Dean and Cheryl are serving at Salem and they will be here and come here when they're done. And I'll call up Pastor Victor, he has an announcement before I walk through the rest. I'm planning to do a fair bit of visiting in the next few weeks and one of the thoughts that I had was uh, uh, to go to our seniors blocks and just kind of go door to door where our members are and knock on your door and see if you're open to a visit. Now that's just an idea. Is that a good idea? Yes. <laughs> that's one answer. <laughs> Anyone else? Is, is that a good idea or? Yeah? Okay, well, and, and what my plan then is to kind of restrict the visits to maybe 45 to 60 minutes so that I can get through a lot of people and, and uh, I want to see as many of you as I can before Christmas. So one day I'll knock on your door. And if it doesn't suit, then just say, can you come back another time? That's no problem. We can do that. Uh, you don't have to drop everything just for me. But anyway, that's the plan. Look forward to seeing you. So we, we have many, many things going on during the week. Um, there are various Sunday school classes that are meeting. And we have a, um, a quarterly membership meeting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Uh, so make time for that. Come on out. Um, there's the agenda I was sent out. There's a lot of important decisions to be made. And um, we have some prayer groups and Bible studies going on during the week. Uh, we want to remember our missionaries of the week, Don Sharap. We also want to remember the Bunker Ministry and pray for these. Um, we're having the lunch today, so everybody is welcome. Be sure to stay if you are absolutely, at least if you're able. We note the deacon election. Um, there are four names to present, and uh, this will also be uh, voted on, or they will be affirmed tomorrow at tomorrow's meeting. Next Sunday is communion, so let's prepare for that. And we have a men's prayer breakfast um, happening on Wednesdays at seven o'clock at the Triangle Oasis. So make um, time for that. Well, in Boundary Trails Health Center, we have uh, Dave Dick, Dorothy Hebert, Dora Peters, Edna Peters, John Suderman, and Tina Suderman. Let's remember to hold them up in prayer and also the whole hospital and staff understand there's lots of shortage of people to be able to effectively take care of our health. And under uh, expression of sympathy, um, Darlene Funk, she passed on Sunday, November 6th. The funeral was held on Monday, and she's a sister to Ray Drieger. I'm going to thank um, all of you for taking part in the Mission Drive-Through uh, drive Supper. There was uh, $15,000 collected, so um, thank you for those that put in all the effort and energy. Uh, it, took, it takes a lot of work behind the scenes. Now we have a couple more th things to highlight here. Um, 
1613 ministry is um, looking to raise $3,000. Um, one of the things that needs no translation is candy, and for many of the families, they are living paycheck to paycheck. They can, uh, most of them at this point, have at least one person, one job, but for most of them, it's minimum wage, and for that does not cover the needs of families, and it leaves very, very little for something for Christmas for the children. So if you can help um, Assembly of All Nations, the checks need to be made out through them, and um, mark it as indicated. Winker Bible Camp is also, again, putting on a festive uh, display. There's two kilometers or so of, of lights and things to visit. You can stay in your car and enjoy that. Um, and, you know, just there. So thank you to this community. You'll see in your package a little something on discovery groups. Pastor Dean Mika not here, so he can't uh, add some things to this, so he asked whether I would. And um, he's put together um, the four purposes of a discovery group. One of the things that vision that he sees, this is the way that we can connect together, that we can care for each other by coming together in groups. Uh, he'd like to see everybody in a group, whether you can make it, whether you can physically get there or not, but that you'd be part of a smaller group so that someone would be able to take the time um, and, and connect with you and care for you. And so each group would have at least one person that is um, a facilitator, a, a, a teacher, someone with the gift for caring, friendship, that loves to gather, gather people, someone that has the gift of evangelism. So as a team, we can take care of each other, and we can also reach into our community and, and the families around us that we serve. So there's um, sign-up sheets in the back if you would, would care to join. So let's take all of this in, in, into a time of prayer. Father, we thank you for where you all are working. Father, we've just heard about the work that's in Thailand, for the work that uh, Heather has a privilege of being part of. Father, we just ask that you bless that work. And we've also just been reminded of the work that 1613 and others are doing here in this community. Father, you are at work um, all, all across the nation and in many, many areas. And Father, it's such a privilege to be part of that, to be part of that as a church community. And Father, we have all been given gifts um, that, um, you know, that are needed, that are needed in our own community right here, that are needed um, to serve across the world. And this is where we ask that you walk with Donna Shara as they are walking and working in a particular calling that you've given to them. Father, we ask that you um, guide the hands of the, of the do physicians, doctors, and give them wisdom as they care for uh, Dave Dick and Dorothy Hebert and Dora Peters, Edna Peters, John Suderman, Tina Suderman, 
be near each one of them, give them um, peace that only you can give. And Father, we also know that there are many others in our own, in our church community here that are dealing with uh, significant health issues. And Father, we ask, you know who they are, and we ask that you be near each one of them and put your hand of healing around them and give them peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Father, we also ask that you do that for the Funk family, comfort Ray as well, and uh, walk with them as a family. Father, there's, there's much going on, work going on all week. Um, I just want to offer this um, up to you. Walk with it, bless it. Give wisdom and discernment to the leadership. And um, Father, wherever we, you have gifted us and where you are called us to, may we um, offer our own time, our, 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 our energy, and our resources. Father, I pray all of this in your precious name. Amen.
Scripture reading this morning comes out of the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 144. I will be reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Prayer for Rescue and Prosperity Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. O Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a mere breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains that they may smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and confuse them. Stretch forth your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters, out of the hand of aliens whose mouths speak deceit and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. Who gives salvation to kings? Who rescues David, his servant, from the evil sword? Rescue me and deliver me out of the hand of aliens, whose mouth speaks deceit and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Let your sons in their youth be as grown-up plants, and our daughters as corner pillars, fashioned as for a palace. Let our garners be full, furnishing every kind of produce, and our flocks bring forth thousands, and ten thousands in our fields. Let our cattle bear without mishap and without loss. Let there be no outcry in our streets. How blessed are the people who are so situated. How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Thank you, Art. Good morning, everyone. I chose that psalm. Um, there's a line in there that is like the psalm we read last week, Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him? And so uh, I chose this, uh, again, because I'm talking about the image of God and, and why, does, uh, why is that such a big deal? And, and here we read that David trust, has learned to trust God, that he fully trusts him, and he also trusts him for all that blessing that he talks about. He's, he's already experienced God. He already knows the blessing that's coming. And he asks for it again, and he's confident. And then he ends with, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And so when we walk according to the design of the image of God, I think we can expect that blessing. It's when we don't that we run into trouble. <clears throat> that's why I chose that psalm. I'm not preaching on it, though. Um... Before I forget, I was in Landmark on November 6th, 
And I know I didn't ask this room full of people, but I, I asked my Bible study class, can I, can I bring greetings from Winkler Berchtoller? They all said yes. And so as soon as I mentioned uh, that to Prairie Rose, that greetings from Winkler Berchtoller, somebody shouted out, and send them greetings right back. So greetings from Landmark. They think of you. <clears throat> Today's sermon we will call the Image of God Part 3. Not very creative, but... Uh, <laughs> we spent the last two sermons uh, looking at the image of God as it's represented by marriage. And if you recall, I began the first message uh, by saying that Scripture gives us four different pictures of the image of God. And the first one that the Bible gives us in Genesis chapter 1 is marriage. And the second one, which we'll look at today, is the individual person. So uh, how does the individual person, uh, or how is that individual person the image of God? And we find biblical basis for this in, in Genesis 9 and 1 Corinthians 11, the idea of the individual being the image of God. In Genesis chapter 9, it says, uh, uh, after Noah and his family got off the ark, God said to Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning of the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So this last statement sounds as though it's speaking of mankind in general, uh, but it's the previous uh, sentence in there from which we get the idea that it refers to the individual, where it says, from his fellow man I will require a reckoning of the life of man. In other words, God requires an accounting for the life of a man if his life is taken from him, right? Just like Cain took Abel's life. So like that. The other passage is 1 Corinthians 11, sorry, yes, 11 verse 7. And there it says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. The context there is Paul's talking about uh, rationale for head coverings, but the part that's of interest to us is that it is a man, referring to the individual uh, being the image of God. So we have at least two texts that identify the individual person as the image of God. So what does it mean? If the individual person is the image of God, in what way is that true? If both men and women are made in the image of God, then, the, then that idea transcends gender, right? And if all men and women are made in the image of God, then it also goes beyond the distinction of race. So regardless then of race or gender, all human beings are made in the image of God. So what are some of these characteristics? The Bible uses a number of images to talk about God in ways that we can understand. And scripture uses uh, imagery of uh, like the arm and the hand to speak of God's strength and mighty deeds. Deuteronomy 26, eight says, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, 
with signs and wonders. So there is a description of God using uh, body parts to, con to help us understand what he is like. There are verses that refer to the hand of God uh, that show that he has everything in, in control. Uh, Job says, in his hand is, is the life of every living thing. And Psalm 95, we read, in his hand are the depths of the earth. So there again, something we can understand. Psalm 8 records the work of God happening with his fingers. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. And Moses also wrote about the finger of God. He said, the Lord gave me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Wouldn't you like to know what God's handwriting is like? I've often wondered about that. And they carried those tablets around for years, right? Years. <clears throat> God even has feet. In Genesis 3.8, Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So he's walking. They heard it. Prophet Amos also spoke of God treading on the heights of the earth. The Bible also uses features of the face uh, to um, explain God. Genesis 2.7 refers to the breath of God. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And Exodus 15 says, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. And then again in Isaiah, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall the wicked be killed. God also has eyes and ears. Psalm, one, sorry, Psalm 11 verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see and test. His eyelids test the children of man. And when Abraham sent Hagar and their son into the wilderness, in Genesis 21, uh, at verse 17 records there, God heard the voice of the boy. So there are a number of features of, that we understand from the way our bodies work that are used to describe God and the things that he does. And I'll just point out just one more thing, and that is uh, that God does that we also do, and that is that he worked and rested. Genesis 2.2 says that on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. All these descriptions of God and what he does are understandable to us because of the way that they are described with the features of our own bodies. So, is this what is meant by an individual person being made in the image of God? Is there a reflection of God in the way that we're made? And possibly and likely. But I think there are other and more significant ways in which we are created in the image of God and they are more in unseen things. All the physical features that uh, we've just looked at uh, to describe God are also found in animals, right? Apes and monkeys, for example, have all the physical features that we just talked about. 
<clears throat> in fact, they also work and rest. But it is not said of animals that they are made in the image of God. So I think we have to conclude that it is not the physical features that, uh, that are the image of God. In what I've learned from Christian apologists and their debates with atheists, and in my own observations, I've come up with five distinct features of the human that set us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom and that reflect the God of heaven. The first one is consciousness. And by that, I mean that we are self-aware, right? We are conscious that we exist. Um, and we are aware of our relation to other people. And we are aware of God. Animals do not have that kind of consciousness. And there's nothing in their behavior that would make us think so. I know that a dog is a dog. But the dog does not know that it is a dog. A dog doesn't really know anything. Not, certainly not in the way that people do. It simply reacts to the stimuli uh, that it encounters, right? A, a dog that is hungry and smells food will run to the food and eat. Um, it simply reacts, right? A dog that has a reasonably good master will be happy to see his master, and a dog that is, doesn't have a good master will probably try and hide from its master. A dog is not self-aware, and it does not know that its master is human. If I treat a dog well, it can learn to trust me, or will trust me and it will probably react favorably to me. If I treat a dog poorly, then it will increasingly distrust me and possibly become hostile. It does not think about these things, and it simply reacts. The human mind understands that we are people and that God is not human. We understand that God is different than we are, and distinct from us. We understand that as people, we are different from all other creatures in the animal kingdom. We are aware that we are not God, and we are aware that we are not animals. We are people, and we are conscious beings. Psalm 8, again, which we read last Sunday, affirms our special place in creation. What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. We are conscious beings, aware of ourselves and others and God, and he has put us over all the rest of creation. Kind of unbelievable, isn't it? So that's the first thing. We are conscious. The second is that we have a mind to think. And uh, probably don't have to give much evidence of that, do I? 
the psalmist in Psalm 119 uh, speaks of thinking on God's law in verse 2. And he also talks about thinking on his own ways. Just before Israel entered the promised land, God said to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it night and day. Not only did God give us the capacity to, to think, he requires it. He requires us to think on his word. A mind to think. Number three, we have a conscience. And that is fascinating. Uh, built into us is a sense of right and wrong. If we look at uh, Romans um, chapter 1. Oh, I thought I had it marked. Romans chapter 1 at verse 18. There it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has given to mankind uh, enough in his conscience to do the right thing and to acknowledge him as God. And there will be no excuse for those who don't do that. There's a little test that you often see worked out. Um, what happens when you serve cake to a table full of children and then they begin to assess who got the bigger piece of cake? Does, does that ever happen? Maybe I should ask, does it ever not happen? <laughs> and what do they say? It's not fair, right? They have a, they have a sense that something is wrong here. There's a sense of right and wrong that you do not need to teach people. And God has put that right into us. That conscience, of course, isn't completely trustworthy. It can be corrupted. It can also be guided and corrected with the word of God. So there's another good reason to meditate on the word of God day and night. It continues to shape our conscience. So that's number three. Number four, we have a will to choose. And this is another fascinating thing. Animals do the things that are most favorable to them, right? If a dog is hungry and it finds food, it eats. People, by contrast, can choose to eat or not eat. We can choose to fast even though the thing that our body wants is to eat. And in fact, this is the lifelong battle of the Christian, to choose to live contrary to the desires of the flesh, right? We have a will that we can choose the right thing. Before Moses died, 
and as Israel was preparing to claim their promised land, Moses was reviewing the covenant God made with them at Mount Sinai, and he summarized the, co the covenant, and uh, where is that? That's in Deuteronomy chapter 30 at verse 19, about. He summarizes the, the covenant after he's explained it all to them. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, what does God say? Choose life. Choose life that you and your offspring may live. And again, when Joshua, at the end of claiming the promised land, after they had uh, done all their campaigning of claiming the land, um, Joshua said this to, the, to his uh, fellow Israelites, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your, fa your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua urged his people to make a choice and to make the right choice. God gave us choice and he requires us to make a choice. Just like he requires us to think, he also requires us to make a choice. And in this way, we are in the image of God. Another, uh, and the final one I'm going to mention here this morning, characteristic is that we are eternal. People are eternal. God is eternal, and for us to be like him, he has created us to be eternal. The, diff the only difference is that we have a start date, and God does not. Moses said, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And Isaiah wrote that God is the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. And Jesus introduced himself in Revelation as the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And a few verses later in chapter 1, he says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, the Bible doesn't say that people live forever. Because real life, which is eternal life, is reserved for those who believe God. So what happens to those who do not believe God? If they are eternal, they need a place to be. But they do not have life. They have everlasting destruction. And this is why hell and the lake of fire are a necessary reality. God has a, play, has a place for eternal beings who don't want him. Speaking of the final judgment, Jesus said in Matthew 25 at verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then if you skip down to verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire. You get that? Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In Revelation 14, we read this. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they will have no rest, day or night. It's always amazing to me how as unbelievably good as our salvation is, it will be unbelievably terrible for those who refuse it. So, five ways in which the individual person is created in the image of God. Number one, we have consciousness. Number two, uh, I should say consciousness, that we are aware of God, of ourselves, and of others. Number two, we can think. Number three, we have a conscience to discern right and wrong. Number four, we have the capacity to choose. And number five, we are eternal. And these are the ways in which we are like God, and in all these ways, we are unlike all the rest of creation. So now, if you recall my message from two messages ago, <laughs> I argued that there are five ways in which marriage is the image of God. And one is the plurality of persons, right? Three in the Godhead, two in the marriage, three if you add the Holy Spirit, like Malachi does. Number two, there's a differentiation of persons, right? Husband and wife are different, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are different. There's the, the idea of the love relationship, also the covenant relationship, and then the aspect of the generation of life. God generates life, so does marriage. So now, there are probably a whole slew of ways in which one could conclude uh, this message. I'll give you a few of my thoughts. I know there are other things that could be added. So now, with this, look at the world today and observe its priorities and hold them up against these images of God in both marriage and the individual person. And what do you see? What becomes very plain is that the world is anti-God. It is against the image of God. Many of today's rights are directed at the image of God. They are an assault on the image of God. And why is that? I think it is because Satan cannot touch God. What does a gangster do when he wants to hurt someone without touching him? 
Well, he goes after his family, right? Or after, after the people that are precious to him, right? I think that's a little bit the picture here. Uh, Satan cannot touch God, but he can touch the image of God. And so he attacks it. Everything that Satan does attacks the image of God. And people who reject God join Satan in his campaign. And his work of destruction touches our lives all over the place. Divorce is an assault on the image of God because it misrepresents faithful covenant relationship. People who shack up without getting married mock marriage and the image of God. When people engage in sexual promiscuity, they assault the image of God because they sin against their own bodies. Substance abuse destroys the individual who is made in the image of God. Abortion and euthanasia are assaults on the individual made in God's image. Feminism is an assault on marriage because it rebels against male headship. Same-sex marriages are an assault on marriage because they confuse the distinction of persons within the marriage, thereby misrepresenting God. Plus, they cannot generate life. Transgenderism is an assault on the image of God because it mutilates the individual, it confuses the distinction of genders, and it declares God to be a liar, claiming he made a mistake. All these things are an assault on the image of God. They suppress the truth, they rebel against God, and they mar his image, which he has placed in creation for the world to see. And God does not take kindly to misrepresentation. So why all this talk about the image of God? Because God's image is in the world as part of God's revelation of himself to the world. People, whether they like it or not, are participants in God's revelation of himself to the world. And it's, incredible, it's an incredible privilege for those who see it and are on board with God's plan. But it's really bad news for all God's image bearers who reject him and his plan. Because though they reject God, they cannot shake loose from his image. They are still image bearers. And what they end up doing then is corrupting it and misrepresenting God. So let me go back to that same piece in Romans again. Uh, I'll pick up where I left off in Romans 1. We, picked, uh, we left off where it said, So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged, and here's, here's a really important thing, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That is the basis of all this error. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations with those who are con that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We are God's image bearers. We have no choice about that. But we have a choice. We either bear that image according to the design and reap the blessings that follow, or we mar the image of God and we misrepresent our Creator. And you can see from Romans 1 what happens when we do not live according to the design. God gives us over. You want to do that? Off you go. And he lets us and he even drives us away from him when we reject him. So, two, two challenges I want to offer us this morning. One, that we commit ourselves to bearing the image of God according to the design of God. And that through faithful living, we participate in God's revelation of himself. Right? So when we walk according to the design, we're declaring God. We're showing him to the world. We think our lives aren't very significant, but they are. When we walk in the ways that God has prescribed us, which align with his character, then we're declaring God to the world. Let's commit ourselves to that. And the second challenge <clears throat> is to commit ourselves to love and minister to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who do not see themselves as fitting in 
with God's design, who claim that the mold does not fit them. Let's love them to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we have heard all our lives that we are made in the image of God. And it gives us some measure of delight and assurance that you love us. Amen. But it is, uh, on the other hand, it can, how should I say, it's, it's a serious thing. It's serious because it reflects you and we, as your reflectors, are instructed to reflect you well and accurately. We don't want to be, Father, among those who misrepresent you. So I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be careful in our living so that we can live with joy and confidence obeying the, the commands of the Lord. And then, Father, we bring to you our loved ones, those who think they don't fit in, those who think they're not, don't fit the mold or who think that you made a mistake when you made them. We pray for them, Father, that the way in which we love them and embrace them and encourage them and share life with them, that they will be drawn to Jesus Amen. so that he can clean them up. We know that's not our job. Help us not to be those who condemn, but those who love. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you've given us the mind to perceive your word and the will to choose to do right. Hallowed be your name. Amen. I sit here and I'm thinking about this concept of us being eternal beings. And when we choose Christ, we are eternally alive. And this concept of eternal death is something I can't hardly imagine, though we have plenty of description of it. And my heart is turned that those are, or is churning that there are those who reject him and will experience eternal death. And in the last few years, I've understood this concept of um, salvation through faith alone a whole lot better, that there's absolutely nothing I can do to earn this, and how what a wonderful gift it is just to believe. Believe that what Jesus said is that you believe in me and you get to live forever. Um, we have a great book in the library about Buddhism, about a fellow who is a Buddhist and came to the Lord, and how he talks about in Buddhism, there's no hope. At best, they hope that when they die and they reincarnate, if that's how it is, but that's how they think it is, that maybe they could do a bit better and a bit get closer to that concept of an eternal life. But generally, there's no hope in it. Have you seen the title of the song that I found for today? Um, I didn't know he'd be preaching on this. And it is wonderful to sing about the hope that we have.
which is the only thing we have, which is in Jesus. Let's sing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Number 558. we miss it <laughs> I'm sure we won't <clears throat> we'll sing later how about that would you please stand and let's have the benediction this benediction from Revelation chapter 1 grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Let's eat together. <laughs> 